Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of Grace Point Church in Atlantic, Iowa. My name is Don McLean. I'm the senior pastor here at Grace Point. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can check us out at gracepointatlantic.com. And in the meantime, grab your Bible and check out this week's sermon. Uh, please turn in your Bibles to Philippians 2, verses 1 through 4. Philippians 2. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being on, of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Philippians 2, 1 through 4. Well, good morning. <laughs> uh, happy Independence Day weekend, uh, all of you here uh, celebrating, and uh, those of you online, we're glad that you could worship with us today. Uh, before I start, I want to extend a big thank you to Sherry Clemson and, and Jared, who emceed, and all the volunteers we had during VBS this past week. Uh, they gave me some of the details. I, I was here one morning briefly before it started, uh, but there were about 57 kids every day. That totals up to 200 and... What's the number here? 285 kids during the week. Uh, uh, there were about 35 to 38 people helping every day, 50 different volunteers throughout. Uh, if you came in, you saw new picnic tables that the youth built during it. Uh, there was a giant Tower of Babel here that got pushed out of the way on Friday night. And I even heard that one of the kids Friday night at the program uh, was crying to his mom. And when some of the people came and said, what's wrong? He said, VBS is over. <laughs> so it was a very good week. Thank you to all of you who helped with that. As I uh, prepared to give the sermon, I had an interesting observation, and I noticed a parallel. Uh, if any of you took psychology classes, uh, they always teach you about stages of grief or loss, and I noticed a parallel in stages of grief and loss with prepping a sermon. So... <laughs> It goes something like this. We're at a board meeting, and Pastor Don, before his sabbatical, said, some of the elders are going to need to give a sermon. And shock, we need to give a sermon? And then there's denial. And I thought, maybe somebody else will do it. <laughs> and then anger. And it, it wasn't really anger, but my, I remember at one point, and Chad gave me permission to say this, but my attitude was, how come Chad doesn't have to do a sermon? <laughs> 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 and then it was bargaining. And so I was like, okay, I'll do a sermon. I just don't want to do Philippians 2. <laughs> it, it, it's a famous passage, and it's, it, I'd just rather not do that. And I thought, Lee's doing the introduction, so he'll just kind of cover the first, the beginning of Philippians, and then I'll get the second half of chapter 1. And then Lee did all of chapter 1. And I, I have I get the opportunity <laughs> to share Philippians 2 with you. Then we have depression, and that was about a week ago, a week, a week and a day. And I said, I was really like, what makes me think I have the ability to have a sermon? I just feel pulled in so many different directions. 
And, and finally, there's acceptance and hope. And, and, and that's when I feel overwhelmed by things, God gives you that acceptance. Uh, and somehow he reassures you that you're going to get through it. And that happened the next morning, actually. Uh, I, I thought, I better start getting these thoughts on paper, and God's going to have to get me through this. And, and God always does. Whenever I'm overwhelmed, that happens. So that's my reminder. Let's pray. <laughs> uh, Father God, thank you this morning for the opportunity to share. Uh, thank you for what you've been teaching me this week as I've dug in. Uh, help each of us to learn what you want us to know individually. Help us as a church to depend on you. Uh, would the words that I say this morning uh, be what, what you want people to hear? Uh, would even the other parts of the service, as, as we sing and as we uh, share communion and as we uh, even just visit with each other, would, would we draw all of those together, draw us together, but closer to you? In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so a month ago, uh, Lee Williams started us off on a study of Philippians, and we're getting back to that today. And in Philippians 1, he shared uh, that God wants people whose hearts follow hard after God's own heart. And so in chapter 2 this morning, we're going to look closer at one of the attributes of God's heart, a heart of humility. And the overall message, as I was looking at chapter 2, is that a heart of humility means that we should value others above ourselves. As Angie read this morning for us, uh, and I, I'm out of the NIV, but, so it's just a slightly different. Um, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. That's the direction, uh, the instruction that was given to Philippians. That instruction is also given to us. Uh, now, for those of you who like to follow sermon notes, I don't, I don't know if this is going to be helpful today or not, but what I'm going to decide what I'm going to do, because this clicker makes me slightly uncomfortable, <laughs> is we're going to fill in all the blanks right away, and then I'm going to go back and dig in, the, dig in the passage. So, when I looked at this chapter as a whole, I saw it broken up in four ways. Uh, the first one, the first section, verses 1 through 4, is the direction, or the instruction for Christians. Paul's writing to believers in Jesus, and because they're in relationship with Christ, he has this expectation of how they should live. Then our second section of chapter 2 is the perfect example of Jesus. Verses 5 through 11, it shares God's heart and shows us the humility that Jesus was willing to live out when he became fully man. Uh, it's one of the more well-known passages where Paul describes how Jesus showed through his life and death uh, that Jesus valued our relationship with God more than his own comfort. Then, uh, verses 12 through 18 gives us some practical applications. What's it look like uh, when we value others above ourselves? What are some things that we should do? What are some things we should not do? And then finally, uh, verses 19 through 30 give us some real-life examples. Uh, Timothy and Epaphroditus. Uh, they are two people that Paul commends to the Philippians, and those two illustrate for us uh, what a heart of humility looks like in Christian service. So, uh, 
when I first found out I'd be giving this sermon, I read through the passage, and then I texted Pastor Don, and I said, do you have any commentaries I can borrow? And he said, yeah, go to my office, and on the right-hand side, there's all the New Testament books, and I went and looked, and I pulled a couple, and the first one I grabbed was this one, and I read the back, and it says, this commentary series is established on the presupposition that the theological character of the New Testament document calls for an exegesis, or exegesis, <laughs> uh, that is sensitive to theological themes as well as to the details of historical, linguistic, and textual context. I am not using this book. <laughs> I, there was also one by John MacArthur. And uh, in the book, in my, in my Bible, Philippians 2 is a page and a half. John MacArthur covers Philippians 2 in 106 pages. And it, as I looked at that, it reminded me of uh, my first week when I was a youth director in Minnesota. And I was meeting with the senior pastor for the first time for our weekly meetings. And we were going to do some study together. And Cheryl asked me two hours later when I came home, how was it? And I said, we spent an hour and a half going over 1 Peter verses 1 and 2. Uh, but then, uh, with Pastor Wally, and, and even this week, uh, digging in, uh, I, I don't normally dig in that deeply, and so I, I, I enjoyed both, both those situations. Uh, it's, it's good to dig more deeply than what I usually make time for. I'm not going to give you the full 106 pages, but most of today's thoughts, they come from MacArthur's comments, uh, my own reading, hopefully what God's leading me to say, and there's also an occasional Google search thrown in there, too. Uh, okay, so, the directive for Christians. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one of spirit and one mind. Paul's drawing on the fact that he and the Philippians, they're united in Christ. And, and that shared Christian unity is one of the foundations of his message. In fact, that's an important part of almost all his messages in almost all of his letters to the different churches. Uh, some examples in Scripture. Uh, Romans 5, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other in the name of our Lord Jesus. In first. She's, somebody's not happy VBS is over. So, uh, In Corinthians, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. To the Ephesians, he said, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Then in Colossians, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together, again, in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you're called to peace. And be thankful. 
That's, this is the same unity that Jesus prayed for for us when he said, My prayer is not for them, the disciples alone. I pray also for all those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I'm in you. Unity, it's, it's part of who God is and it's part of who we should be in Christ. Um, this shared unity, it makes us different. The world isn't like that. Uh, Paul references the negative, the world's inclinations in Galatians. In Galatians, he says, Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they're something when they're not, they're deceiving themselves. As an, as an aside, this unity, I think, is something that we should be celebrating this Independence Day weekend for our country. 245 years ago, 56 people came together, mostly men of Christian faith. Uh, and th this is what they said in the Declaration of Independence. With firm reliance on the protection of the divine providence, that's God, we mutually pledged to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. They valued freedom for their countrymen more than their own security. And I saw online, Michael W. Smith has a website that lists some of the sacrifices made by the signers, ways that they put others ahead of themselves. Um, five signers were captured by the British as traitors and tortured before they were killed. Twelve had their homes ransacked and burned. Two lost their sons in the war. Another two had sons captured. And out of the 56 people, nine of them were killed or died from wounds or different hardships from the war. It said that 24 of the people were lawyers. Eleven were merchants, nine were farmers. Uh, they were well-educated, but they knew that when they were signing the Declaration of Independence that they were putting their life on the line. A couple of specifics they mentioned, uh, Michael W. Smith mentions here. Carter Braxton was from Virginia, a wealthy planter and a trader. Uh, had several ships. Uh, he saw his ships being basically taken from the, by the British Navy. He had to sell his home to pay his debts and died in rags. Uh, and at the border of York, at the Battle of Yorktown, Thomas Nelson uh, note, noted that uh, the British General Cornwallis had actually taken over his family estate and was using it for headquarters. And Thomas Nelson quietly spoke to George Washington and said, "Open fire." Uh, his home was destroyed, and Nelson died bankrupt. All of these people uh, value. Uh, let's see. Sorry. <laughs> they put the needs and the interests of their fellow neighbors and their countrymen above their own interests. I believe that part of the reason we're so divided as a country today is that we've lost that unity and faith, and we've lost our humility, that heart of humility. We don't share uh, faith in our communities. We don't, share, we don't value others above ourselves. Uh, we're no longer any different from the rest of the world. Uh, and that should start in each of the communities we live in, and then it extends across the states and across America but too often it doesn't. So we need an example, and the Philippians needed an example, and Paul gives us an example, the perfect example of Jesus. Uh, Paul reminds us who Jesus was and who he is, and he tells us that Jesus is the perfect example. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. This example uh, is in regards to our humility. It's not, not salvation. We don't have the power to save anyone. Only Christ can do that. Uh, but we can live out Jesus' heart of humility as he put others ahead of himself. In verse 6, it says, 
that he was God, who being in the very nature of God, God, all that glory that I, I can't even imagine in heaven, I don't even know what that looks like. He gave that up to come here. He became man, verse 7 and 8. Not a great man, not rich or famous or powerful, born to a humble, poor working family, living an obedient life, dying a horrific death on the cross. That's what humility looks like. That's a perfect example of humility. That's who God is in Jesus. And then verse 9 through 11. Therefore, or you could say because of this, because of what Jesus did in humility, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the part of Philippians that I was afraid to preach on. There's nothing more, I feel like there's nothing more for me to say there. But every time I hear that passage, or, or hear it, I hear the song in my head, Jesus' name above all names. And I was thinking, you know, it says every knee shall bow. I, I've asked Andrew to come up and just lead us in that quick chorus Jesus' name above all names. And if you want to take a knee where you're seated, that's, that's fine. If, you want, uh, if, if you're just more comfortable just sitting and bowing your head, that's fine too. But we're just going to take a pause and worship God. moves right from there, uh, praising God, uh, and then continues in the writing uh, with some practical applications. Verses 12 uh, through 18 uh, tell us how to live with humility. The first thing that I notice in Paul's writing is he said, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, I ask myself the question, how am I acting when no one's looking? It's easy to act humble when the right eyes are watching, but to actually be humble in my heart, be humble in my attitude, it's a greater challenge. It goes back to our hearts. Do I really care about others more than myself, or do I just act that way because I'm supposed to? If I'm honest, then I know I can slip into comparing and judging and all those things that Paul mentioned in Galatians uh, when left on my own that I don't want to do. Second half of verses 12 through 13 says, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. And then as I read that, it's like ding, ding, warning bells are going off for me uh, speaking. Because those, that verse is one of those verses that sometimes uh, challenges our Christian doctrines of is it 
works or salvation or grace or all that stuff. And I'm not going to get into that. I, I just think, I believe Paul is simply saying here, when he says, work out your salvation, he's saying, live out your faith because God is working in us to fulfill his will. A big, heart, a big part of having a heart of humility is to bend our will and give mental permission to God uh, to do things that God wants us to do. And the only way for me to keep bending my will is to keep praying. I, I call these my want-to-want-to prayers. I've described these to the youth before. Want-to-want-to uh, -to prayers are when I'm struggling to bend my will. Uh, let's, let's say, take forgiveness, for example. Suppose somebody, somebody here at church after service kind of says, what was that, Paul? Um, or something. Or maybe it's at school. Somebody... Uh, some, somebody challenges me or you know, doesn't go the way I wanted um, and makes me look foolish. And I don't want to forgive them. Uh, and yet I know, I, I feel disrespected. And, and I know that I'm supposed to forgive, but I don't want to forgive them yet. But then I say, God, I want to want to. And uh, for me, those want to want to prayers are probably some of my most honest prayers when I'm not ready to bend my will, but I want to. I want God to do that for me. So, anyway, verse 14. Do everything without grumbling or complaining. That's a big way to show humility. Accept the position that God has placed you in and give your best. Uh, and I thought there's, there's an interesting parallel with verse 9. Uh, when, when Jesus humbled himself, God exalted him. And... Paul says here that when we live without grumbling or arguing, we stand out. We stand out like stars in the sky in a warped world. It made me think of Ted Amon. Ted Amon was a student in my eighth grade class. He was another, another eighth grader. Uh, it seemed like he, everybody was Ted's friend. He wasn't a jock. Uh, he wasn't that smart. He wasn't, wasn't dumb, but he was just an average student. Uh, didn't have any special 80s haircut. Um, as I remember, he simply always treated everybody with respect, and he had a cheerful attitude. It didn't matter whether they were popular or not, and at that time in my life, I didn't feel like I was one of the popular ones. Uh, Ted treated me well. He treated everybody well. Everybody liked to be around him. And I think there's something appealing about some, uh, someone going through life with a good attitude. When humility is mixed with joy, it encourages others around us, even in difficult or probably especially in difficult situations. So Paul, even though he's had some difficult situations, he's currently in prison when he's writing this letter. Um, and in, in Acts, it talks about all the beatings he took and stuff. All those ministry opportunities drain him completely, but he's able to say that he's rejoicing with the Philippians, and he urges them to rejoice with him too. So then, you know, I mentioned Ted Amon as a real-life example from my eighth-grade past. Paul mentions two, eighth, two real examples from his ministry. Uh, and they were already familiar to the Philippians. So that was Timothy and Epaphroditus. And... Oh, whoa. Okay, there we go. <laughs> Oh, somebody wants me to end the sermon right now. No. <laughs> uh, last week, uh, Derek shared in his message a lot of information about Timothy, as he shared from 2 Timothy. 
uh, and talked about Paul's great love for his partner in ministry. This passage in Philippians highlights many traits about Timothy that illustrate Timothy's own heart of humility. In verse 20, Paul says, There's nobody like Timothy who shows genuine concern for your welfare, who cares about others. In verse 21, he says, Everyone looks out for their own interests, but Timothy's focus is on Jesus Christ. In verse 22, he talks about how Timothy had proven himself, how he'd served with Paul in the work of the gospel. He was tested and he found faithful. He's submissive to Paul's needs. He's submissive to God's desires. In verse 23, he talks about how Timothy's available. Paul's saying, I'm gonna, I want to send Timothy to the Philippians, and Timothy's able to go. There's a, a brief rabbit trail about Timothy that I, I, as I was preparing, I wanted to share too. I've talked about Timothy sometimes with the youth group in different times because there's this one verse that says in uh, 1 Timothy 4.12, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. And so I always pictured Timothy being a teenager, maybe in his 20s, and I was a little surprised as I kind of did the math looking at some dates this week. Timothy probably wasn't quite that young. He was, he was maybe 15 to 20 years younger than Paul, uh, but that means he might have been 40 or 45 at the time of this letter. And that got me thinking a little bit. In our culture, our values have flipped. Back then, you know, elders were respected. And uh, right now, it, it's a little bit, we tend to make fun of elders. Uh, and I'm guilty of that too. The Geico commercials, I think, are hilarious. Uh, the ones that talk about not, uh, not becoming your parents. Unfortunately, the, the one about the airports particularly applies to me. I want a paper ticket, and I point out all the landmarks. Um, but... Uh, in our current culture, we tend to revolve around the youth. Uh, in some, some ways, we, we even worship youth of wanting to be like them. Uh, and so I wonder if the message, uh, the message was given to Timothy the way it was, but I kind of, I, I changed the wording just a little bit to fit, that might fit our culture. And I, I said, don't let anyone look down on you or cast you aside because you're older but set an example for believers in speech and conduct and love and faith and impurity. And I think it's a dangerous fallacy in our times to believe that we've already done our part, uh, to think that we don't have time or energy left, uh, to think that they don't want us to be involved or that they don't need us. Uh, younger people need to see us. They need to see our faith in us through the end. Uh, as Paul says, I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. Epaphroditus uh, is the next example that Paul writes about. Epaphroditus is less common to us. I, I wondered as I was preparing, I was like, what would be the nickname for Epaphroditus? And I was like, Epaph? Uh, uh, and, and actually, I found in the commentary it does. His, his, the nickname was uh, Epaphras. So it doesn't really sound that shorter, but anyway. <laughs> uh, Epaphras is less common to us, but was well known to the Philippians. Uh, he'd been trusted by the believers in Philippi to deliver a gift to Paul, and he brought that gift uh, and was helping Paul with some of his needs in prison. And then Epaphroditus actually got very sick while he was with Paul and almost died. Paul, by his writings, he apparently liked having him around, but Paul followed his own advice and put the Philippians' needs ahead of his own and said, I'm sending Epaphroditus back to you to encourage you. When I think of Epaphroditus, his example shows me 
you know, there's some like Paul that were called to go in a ministry of service reaching out around the world. Uh, there's some like the Philippians uh, that are called to serve and stay at home. And there's some like Epaphroditus who are called to go for a time and then come back home. Wherever we serve is not without risk, uh, but we need to be willing to go where God leads us. Uh, one of the things John MacArthur pointed out in his commentary, uh, there was a group of believers that intentionally modeled their ministry, and this was like in the 100 to 200-ish uh, time, early Christian church. They modeled their ministry after Epaphroditus. They called themselves uh, the, the pa I can't say this right, Paraboloni, which I don't, I don't know why you would call yourselves that. But it, it meant gamblers, uh, and it was a play on Epaphroditus' name, which was also a reference to gambling. And because it was, they, they gambled their lives, in a sense, for God, they made it their mission to visit prisoners and the sick, especially people with communicable diseases, uh, people that others were afraid to connect with with fear that they would contract stuff themselves, fear for their own health and their lives. The witness of these believers was perhaps one of the things that led to the eventual conversion of the whole Roman Empire. I thought of another example, more recent in my experience. Jerry Turning was from our church that, that we were youth directors at in Minnesota. Uh, he was retired, but whenever a tornado or a uh, flood occurred in the Midwest, uh, it might be Missouri or Nebraska or Iowa or Minnesota, um, he would... Uh, Put, get his chainsaws and put them in his pickup. He'd get his skid loader and put him on the trailer, get a couple other guys from church, and uh, head down. The, I, heard, I, th I think I remember one of the wives saying, oh, that's the boys with their toys. Um, but when they got to the disaster area, what he would do is he would find an evangelical church there and make it his mission to help them help the neighbors there. After a couple weeks, when, the when all those needs were met, he'd come back home. Jerry served with a heart of humility. As I was studying this passage, the whole chapter here, another song came to mind uh, that fit the theme of today's message. We're not going to sing it. Um, the Getty song, Oh How Good It Is, shows a picture of a heart of humility. But the lyrics are probably familiar to you. Oh how good it is when the family of God dwells together in spirit, in faith, and unity, where the bonds of peace of acceptance and love are the fruit of his presence here among us. That song, it celebrates what brings us together and who brings us together, Jesus. We recognize that same heart of humility when we celebrate communion, which is what we're going to be doing today. As we share bread and wine uh, together and we reflect on Christ's sacrifice, we recognize that he did what we can't do for ourselves. So, Let's pray, and Andrew is going to be leading us in communion. Father God, we thank you for that example, that perfect example that you were, that you came and died for us, that you did what we couldn't do uh, to bring us in relationship with you. Help us to carry your heart of humility in our own lives as we live with others, work with others, play with others, Help us to put others' needs ahead of you genuinely, uh, that we would care, that we would reach out, that we would want people to know you. In all ways, help us to serve you and love you. In Jesus' name, amen.